We are going to continue our series that we uh, entitled Redeemed. We started it on Easter Sunday, and uh, today is week number three. And today we're going to talk about how being redeemed allows us to become a part of a new family. It gives us the opportunity to be a part of a, a new family. Uh, it, it reminds me of the story of the little girl who asked her mother one day, how did the human race start? And the mother said, well, uh, God made Adam and Eve, and then they had children, and then their children had children, and their children had children, and so on and so forth, until eventually it got to us. She goes, oh, okay, that's awesome. Well, a couple of days later, she asked her father the same question. The father said, well, many years ago, there were monkeys from which the human race evolved. And the girl was confused, and so she went back to her mother and said, Mom, how's it possible? You told me that the human race was created by God, and Dad said they developed from monkeys. And the mother said, well, dear, it's very simple. I told you about my side of the family. He told about his. Um, <laughs> that's funny. I'm sorry. That's pretty funny. We get back to our series, as I said, um, about how, how being redeemed, how the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that he went to the cross and died for our sins, and three days later, he came back to life, and that allows us the opportunity. The Bible tells us, we'll read it in depth a little more uh, later, uh, but tells us that because of what he's done for us, we have the right to become children of God. Now, it doesn't say that we automatically become children of God. That happens whenever we surrender our lives to Him and, and we come into that relationship with Him. But it says we have the right to become the children of God. And so in the first week of this series, we learned that, it, that it's our faith in Christ and what He's done for us that, that makes us a new person. When we surrender our lives to Him, we repent of our sins, we're baptized into Him, we come up out of the water, as the Bible says, as a new person. And then we discovered that because of the grace of God, we have the opportunity to get past our past. Our sins do not define us. Because of what Jesus did, we are not what we have done. And so today we're going to talk about um, being a part of a family. We get a new family. Now there might not be anything wrong with your family, but maybe there is. Uh, we all have, you know, I, I tell people all the time, we all have branches of our family that's going to wind up on Jerry Springer someday. Uh, but, um, you know, well, not anymore. I guess he's face to face with the Lord, but I, that's not a joke. Don't laugh. That just popped into my brain. I hope he knew Jesus. Um, but anyway, um, we all have family issues, right? And the Bible says when we come into this relationship with Christ, we get a new family, a spiritual family. Listen to what John says in chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. 
Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And so when Jesus came into the world, there were two reactions to his arrival. There were some people who received him as the savior of the world, and then there were some people who rejected him. They thought he was a fake. They thought that he was a fraud. And Jesus tells us that to the ones who did receive him, those who are redeemed by him, God gave them, God gave us the right to become his children. And based upon our faith in Jesus Christ, the repentance of our sins, our baptism into him, the Bible says that we are grafted into his family. In other words, we are adopted into his family. And this adoption has nothing to do with a physical birth, but it's a spiritual birth that takes place when we become reborn of God by the grace that he has offered us. You might remember on Easter Sunday, we talked about how the baptistry is a tomb and a womb. It's a tomb where we die to ourselves and we're buried in a watery grave, but it's a womb where we are reborn as a babe in Christ. We are not the same person that we were. Aren't you thankful for that this morning, that we are not what we used to be, that we are not who our past mistakes uh, sometimes point to and tell us we are. And as we look at this passage of Scripture today, John is telling us that we not only are saved from our sin and we're on our way to heaven, but we, we have the opportunity, opportunity to become a part of this family, this incredible family. And, and there's some things that we need to understand about this, this family. And as... as uh, we look at this passage of scripture, it, it, here, here's what I see. Everyone is welcome in the family of God. Everyone. There are no pre-qualifications to get in. Right? And it's easy for us to feel like we don't belong. It's easy for us to look at ourselves and say, well, you don't know what I did and you, know, you don't know what I'm thinking and, and, and I've just made too many mistakes in the past and I just don't, I don't belong here in this family. But when you start to look at the family tree of our Lord, have you ever done that? Have you ever looked through the book of Matthew and just gone through what he lists, who he lists as people who are a part of Jesus' lineage, right? Here are some of the names who show up. Jacob was a liar. David was an adulterer. Rahab was a prostitute. And what seems like a list of this broken and flawed group of people, when you look at it more closely, it's a list of people who are loved by God. And God said, listen, I'm going to use you in spite of, of the things that you've done. I'm going to welcome them into this big family in spite of the mistakes that they made. Now, I got to be honest with you. If I was writing this story, this is not how I would have written it, right? If I was making up this story, this isn't how I would do it. Because if I was writing the story, if you were writing the story, if we as Christians were collectively writing this story, we would pick Jesus' genealogy, we would pick his family as being a group of people who were the best of the best. We would want the Messiah to come from this family that had this wonderful patriarch and then another wonderful person and then another wonderful person. We would not have included all of these messed up people in the genealogy of Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that this is true. 
Because that's not how society works, right? We would, if we were making it up, it wouldn't be a group of misfits like how Matthew records it. And then when you look at the early church in the book of Acts, we see some amazing things that took place in his family. Look at verse 42, verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can follow along on the screen. But here's what it says. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And they worshiped together at the temple each day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And here's the kicker. I love this. Each day. Each day. The Lord added to their number. Added to their fellowship. Added to their church. Added to their family. However you want to put it. Those who were being saved. Every single day. People were coming to know the Lord. And those Christians that we read about, you say, man, that's impressive. They're no different than you and I. They were just a group of people who were looking for a place to belong. They were looking for a family. They were in need of community. And so they were looking for something that was authentic. And they were faced with this struggle that was going on in their lives. They had persecution that was going on in their lives. They didn't feel at home anymore because they're, they're no longer a part of the Jewish faith, right? They'd left that behind. And they're being persecuted for, for their beliefs and what they longed for they found in the family of God. And the Bible tells us that these Christians, they spent time together. And they sat under the apostles' teaching. And they fellowshiped with one another around the table. And they prayed with and they prayed for one another. And they shared with one another. And they sacrificially met one another's needs. They enjoyed being around one another. They liked being in and another person who believed, they, who was part of their family, loved being in their presence. And they shared this common bond of, of Christ's love for him. And it's amazing what happened when the first church operated like this. When you look at it, it it's incredible. The world saw what was happening. The world took notice. And they recognized, listen, there's this group of people that's behaving a certain way. They're not acting like the world did. Or like the world does. And there's something different about this group of people called Christians. You see, I think part of the reason we don't see the same response in parts of our world today is that whatever form of Christianity we're seeing in some of our communities doesn't even come close to what was happening in the book of Acts. What many non-believers see are people playing Christian. They're seeing people playing church. They see people claiming to be one way, but they're acting another. And it's a huge turnoff to the world. People want authenticity. They already have fake, don't they? I mean, it's everywhere that you turn. There's fake everything. Fake selfies. They've been embellished. I mean, you ever look at a picture on Instagram? You go, that's not what they look like. Is anybody with me on that? 
Okay, so we've got that fake. We've got fake people. They just act fake. We got, can I say it? Fake news. That's not a political statement, but we got news. It's not real, right? We see all of this fakeness around, and we just want something that's real. People want something that's real. I think that's why there's a resurgence in the church right now. People are looking for real stuff, and they're finding it in Jesus. People are tired of fake. It reminds me of the story about the lady who was baking a cake for the annual bake sale at a Christian church. It wasn't much different from ours. Her name was Mrs. Billings, and she always made a cake. It was always wonderful. It was always beautiful, and the church expected her to make another cake this year. However, she was a very busy woman, and with the time that she spent with her family and her community involvement and her work, everything that she did, she kind of put off making the cake for a little while, thinking, I'll get it done at the last minute. Well, at the last minute, she's working on it. She pulls cake out of the oven, and she had a problem. The cake fell. And she was horrified to see that the cake had fallen. And so she didn't have the time or the ingredients to make another one. And she panicked. And frantically, she, she devised this ingenious plan. She said, I'm going to find a way to fix this cake. And then she would be the first one to the sale and buy the cake before anybody could discover what had happened, right? In other words, she was going to go to the bake sale and she was going to buy back the cake that she made, kind of like redemption. That's what we talked about, right? And so she looked around the room and she was trying to find something that she could use to prop up the cake and then boom, she found it. A roll of toilet paper. It was the perfect size, and she put it under the cake, and the cake looked perfect, and she decorated it bright yellow, and it was beautiful. She took it to the bake sale, and she stuck around for the bake sale to start, and she was the first in line when the doors opened, and she walked in. She smiled to herself about how clever she was, and she pulled it off. However, there was a terrifying horror that began to well up inside of her when she looked at every single table, and there was no yellow cake to be found. Someone had snuck in before the sale and purchased her cake and the people could not remember who bought the cake and there was so much going on she's just absolutely devastated she goes home she feels absolutely horrible that was it people's going to find the toilet paper in the cake she's going to be um, exposed as a as a fraud they're never going to ask her to cook anything for the bake sale again Uh, well she didn't have a whole lot of time to dwell on it. And like I said, she's a very busy woman. She's going to a reception that particular day that the mayor's wife was holding. And she was already running a little bit late. And when she got there, oh, you guys are ahead of me, aren't you? She died right there on the spot because there right in the center of this beautifully decorated table was the bright yellow cake. And she debated all of her options. Do I grab the cake and run? Do I change my name and move to another state? Do I just go up and tell the mayor's wife what happened? She was kind of teetering between uh, calling in a bomb threat and letting letting the mayor know. And so she musters up the courage to let the mayor's wife know what had happened, right? And so she walks up, she's walking up to the mayor's wife, and she, as she's getting close, she overheard someone complimenting the mayor's wife, saying, this is the most beautiful cake that I've ever seen. And the mayor's wife said, thank you, I made it myself. <laughs> and Mrs. Billings sat down and enjoyed her fruit salad. <laughs> so here's the deal, hypocrisy fakeness. You can think you're trying to cover stuff up, but listen, whether people see you or not, God sees what you're doing, right? And the early church was really good at 
at just being authentic, at just putting themselves out there and being who they said they were. They were practicing what Jesus taught on a regular basis because they believed. They, they, they knew, they had either seen Jesus rise from the dead themselves or they believed the apostles who were saying, we saw Jesus ourselves, right? And so they started to live out their faith. And it was incredibly attractive because, and here's the second thing, if you're taking notes, when done right, the family of God is attractive. When it's done wrong, it's not attractive. But godly community, the family of God done right, is extremely attractive. Inauthenticity is not Inauthentic worship is not. Inauthentic Christians are not. Inauthentic anything, leadership, whatever, is not. But when you have a family of believers who are doing what God asks of us, it's incredibly attractive to a lost world. Verse 47, again, I think it's the most compelling verse in this passage of Scripture. This family was building the church, and it was so attractive that the Lord was adding to their church every day. People outside God's family saw something that they wanted to be a part of. You know, I hear it all the time. People say this all the time. I love God. I believe in Jesus. I'm just not a big fan of his kids. (laughs) And so they don't want to go to church. And that's because sometimes his children don't act the way that we should. And so God's calling us to authentic worship, an authentic lifestyle. And people saw this in the first century, and they wanted to be a part of it. And I think there's two reasons why it was so attractive to them. Number one is this. They saw the the family doing life together. (laughs) We most fully experience the love and grace of God in connection with one another. You can do it on your own, but God designed us to to do it together. It's, It's more powerful. It's more fulfilling. It's more scriptural to do it together. They worshiped together. They ate together. They prayed together. They enjoyed uh, each other's company. They shared openly, the Bible says, with glad and sincere hearts. And when all of these elements are present, it causes family flourishing in a way that nothing else will do. Look at what John says in 1 John 1, 3. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so basically what John is saying is this. Everything he knows about Jesus' sacrificial love, he does this because it would allow the hearers to have fellowship with one another. In other words, he's saying, I believe so strongly in what God has done for me and I have such a fellowship with him that it enables me to have fellowship with other people in a way that I can't have any any other way. Right? Our fellowship with one another is a direct result of what our fellowship with Jesus is like. And if our fellowship with God is not all that great, then I'm going to guess that our fellowship, your fellowship, is not as good as what it can be with other people. It's going to come across as inauthentic 
or fake, if you're just putting on a show, if you're just wearing a mask and you're trying to be something that you're not, people see right through that. But if your fellowship with God is really, really strong, people are going to know that. They're going to see it. And this is the type of fellowship that the New Testament was practicing. And it led to the early church meeting one another's needs. Now, the second thing that they saw was that. They met one another's needs, all right? So they saw this family doing life together, and this family was meeting one another's needs. They were entrusting one another with their struggles and with their trials and with their needs, and they were doing whatever was necessary to meet those needs. They were selling their possessions. They were sacrificially giving up stuff. To meet the need of another person. They were the physical representation of God. They were the hands and feet of Jesus. And in order for a family to function the way that God wants us to function. That is in a healthy manner. Each individual needs to do their part to help bring about that flourishing. Right? The community of faith today that exists should be the same as what it was Back then, it should be no different. And we all need to be willing to meet the needs of all of the people who we call our family members. And when we do, that is attractive to people. I saw this in a sermon uh, this week on Acts chapter 2. And I can't remember what the guy's name was, uh, but I stole it from him. And this is what it says. He said, this is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service. If I make it what it is, then I am filled with these. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things that I want my church to be. Have you ever sit back and said, man, I just wish the church would do this? Right? I have. It's, it's, it's up to you guys. If you just sit back and you expect other people to do it, that's not what the first century church did. The, the church in the book of Acts did not operate that way. God empowered people in the early church with special gifts and abilities and a special heart to reach people in a way that just the church leadership or staff is not going to be able to do. We're all ministers, guys. And we need to let people know that no matter what's going on in your life, this is a safe place. This is a refuge for the hurting. This is a place of caring. As Wayne Smith used to say all the time, it's a hospital for the sick. It's not a hotel for the saints. And a person should be able to bring their concerns and their struggles to the family of God without fear of being rejected, without fear of being judged, without fear of winding up on the prayer chain or gossip hotline as it works in some churches. I'm not saying it works that way here. we got a great group of people here that I know that you pray when it goes out. But I've been a part of some churches where the prayer concerns become nothing more than, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? I can't believe they did that. If I sound like somebody you know there, I apologize. I sort of. In following Jesus, in joining joining the family of God, here's what's going to happen too. A lot of people are going to reject you. Your family might even reject you. 
And you need a place of refuge. You need a place of safety where you can go, where you can find love and acceptance as you're trying your best to live out your life for Jesus the way he wants you to. Now here's the third thing I think we need to understand from this passage of scripture. God wants everyone in the family, so make room at the table. Make room. When we are redeemed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and when we're made new and we're welcomed into the family of God, it's important to remind ourselves that this family is intended to grow. This family doesn't exist just to bring you in, even though that's a part of it. It's intended for you to grow. When we experience the love of the Father, then we should be compelled to share it with people who don't have it. The Bible tells us we're the light of the world, right? Matthew 5, 16, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The things that we do, our good deeds, those are basically invitations for people to see the light of Jesus Christ. We don't do them to be seen. We, we do them so that people will be attracted to Jesus and they'll want to come and be a part of the family. And Matthew says that the response of those who see our acts of love will be to glorify our God and Father in heaven. When they see you doing something in the name of Jesus... The Bible says they're, they're going to praise him. Not everyone will, but a lot will. I can tell you this, a lot more will after they see you doing these things than if you don't do them. I remember as a kid, I was about eight or nine years old, and our family was doing a revival at a church in Knox, Indiana. And I can remember it very vividly. I, I couldn't even tell you where Knox is right now. I just remember that it was, uh, you know, mid-70s, uh, the, 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 the decade, not temperature, because there was an ice storm everywhere. We, did, we didn't even know if we were going to make it there or, night, uh, or not. And one night after the service, the preacher and his wife invited us over to their house for pizza after the service was over. And I really don't think they knew exactly what they were getting into with mom and dad and all five of us kids. But I remember going to their house and they had this huge table in their dining room. And it, you know the kind of table, big wooden table where you can put leaves in and take leaves out, so on and so forth, depending on how many people were there for dinner. And I remember my mom talking to the preacher's wife about how beautiful the table was. And and she asked her if it was much of a chore to take the table uh, the table leaves out or or did she just leave them in? And the, the, I remember the preacher's wife saying this. And it was this big, heavy, solid wood table. She said this. We just leave it like this all the time. Not because it's a chore to take them in and out. But we just don't know who's going to drop by sometime that we want to have in. And I think back to that preacher and that preacher's wife. And I can't remember their names but I remember their actions and they were always ready to allow someone to come to their table. Always. Didn't matter who it was. Right? 
I'm thinking if they'd let mom and dad and us five curtain climbers in and share pizza with us, they'd let just about anybody in. Is this what's said about us? What if we were known as the kind of people who always had room at the table for whoever, whether that's our home or here? Extra space at the table so others can be a part of the family. That's what being redeemed by the resurrection is all about makes us new and invites us into God's family so that we might invite others in as well. And I don't know where you're at today. There might be some of you here today. Again, you're just kind of struggling. Like, I don't know if I fit there or not. I, I heard this song this week, and, and I, just want, I just wanted to sing it for you as we wrap this up today. Um, just kind of shut your eyes and think about what uh, the author of the song is saying. Hear the voice of love, it's calling. There's a chair that waits for you. And a friend who understands everything you're going through. You keep standing at a distance In the shadows of your shame But there's a light of hope that's shining Won't you come and take your place? Bring it all to the table It's nothing he ain't seen before Your sin, your sorrow and sadness There's a Savior and he calls Bring it all to the table He can see the weight you carry The fears that hold your heart But through the cross you've been forgiven You're accepted as you are Bring it all to the table It's nothing he ain't seen before For all your trials, all your worries and your burdens There's a Savior and he calls Bring it all to the table So come on in Take your place, there's no one who's turned away. 
All you sinners, all you saints, come right in and find your grace. Come on in, take your place. There's no one who's turned away. All you sinners, all you saints, come right in and find your grace. Bring it all to the table. It's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your sin, all your sorrow and your sadness, there's a Savior and he called. Bring it all to the table. Bring it all to the table. As we wrap up today, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up, and we're going to sing a song, but I want you to understand something this morning. God's family isn't perfect, right? But through Jesus, that's how God sees us. He sees us as his perfect children. Do you remember when you were a kid and it seemed like your parents looked at you and you could do no wrong? Better yet, can you remember when you first had your kids and you look at your children and they're just perfect, right? Doesn't take long to figure out, well, they're not really all that perfect. It's not till grandchildren do they become perfect, right? But... God sees us that way. The church I grew up in, we were a part of a church. It was very legalistic. It was very solemn. It was very quiet and boring. You couldn't laugh. If you laughed, that was sacrilegious. Uh, there was a plaque hanging outside of the sanctuary. It said, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. We had to be quiet. I thought that the men that walked up and down the aisles were called hushers because they walked around hushing everybody. I didn't learn till later they were called ushers. Church started at 10.30 sharp, ended at 11.30 dull. I don't think that's the picture that we see in the book of Acts of God's family. It's a family that should love one another, should rejoice with one another, should bear one another's burdens. We're striving to be that family. We, we don't always get it right here. We're working at it. And we'd love you to be a part of it. Maybe you're here and, and you'd like to do that. Maybe you've never confessed Jesus as the Christ. You've never repented of your sins. Maybe you've never been baptized into him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to offer this song of decision. And... Um, if you have a need, we want, you, we want you to come this morning during this song. If you're watching online, you can, you can text to our church connection number. We'd love to reach out to you if you're ready to make a decision for Christ. We've had that happen a couple times online. People who are watching online that hasn't been able to set foot in the building. But we've been able to talk to them because of our online services and reach out to them and, and bring them in as a part of the family.
But for those of you who are here today and, and you hear the voice calling you, would you come? Would you come to the table? Let's pray.